ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Yo, 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 beautiful people, how's it going? So as you know, a few days ago over the weekend, I was at the Breaking Convention in a place called Greenwich in London. Really was an amazing time doing so many, uh, had done so many amazing podcasts that I cannot wait to share with you all. Also, the interactions with all the people there was really incredible. And I really loved catching up with some people that listen to this podcast. It really is so inspiring and so humbling. Um, how many people listen to this podcast and it really was incredible just having the opportunity to actually meet you guys in person. It really is um, so powerful. And over this weekend as I was recording conversations, I mean sometimes a day I was recording four, five, six podcasts a day as you will see in the up and coming months. And uh, what was really wild is that sometimes when you're doing five and six podcasts a day, you're getting hit from all different angles of so much knowledge. And it really is um, sort of, it doesn't really allow you the opportunity within your own self to, to digest that information. And then in between that, as I'm walking around the convention, I'm meeting all you guys who listen to the podcast. I'm meeting other interesting people. And your mind is constantly getting stretched from all different angles and it really does take a lot of energy out of you. So over the next couple of um, days, I really do need to sort of recoup my energy. And later on today, I'm going to be, after I record this intro, I'm going to be heading into the woods. Just take myself for a long walk. I think we all need to do that from time to time and just really bask in the silence of nature. And then over, then tomorrow, for tomorrow for three or four days, I'm going to be heading up towards Scotland I'm going out on my mountain bike with one of my good friends and I'm just going to be hitting the trails for a couple of days and just get my mind in that flow state and really just sort of take time to sort of not be um, taking in any information because this weekend just gone really was an information overload and at times I felt like my hardware was going to break I'm sure you can all relate anyway to that London really is a wild place in general as well I've spoke about this before for someone for me, I'm somebody who really loves to be basked in nature. And obviously this festival was in the heart of London. And London really is a crazy place at time. It really is. There's so much going on as well to add to that. So I'm glad to just get myself into nature and give myself a little break. What I thought was really um really inspiring at the conference of the introspection that I got was when I'm walking around and I'm sort of looking around and analyzing different things, different elements within the convention, I really sort of got this thought in my mind that the desire, the, 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 the sort of the thirst for people to get information, the desire to see beyond the veil of the material world, it really is in our human nature and it really is incredible um, how many people are really wanting to expand expand the minds in so many different ways. People are looking into psychedelics, meditation, mindfulness, whatever it is, people are really sort of um, doing their best to expand their life. 
in their day-to-day lives and it really is incredible i mean it was really fun had a really funny interaction i don't know if you people have seen the the guy called david attenborough but basically david attenborough is a uk-based documentarian and he does narrations over sort of nature videos on bbc and he always has these sort of um, great lines when he's talking about the interactions between certain animals or insects or nature itself. And I really said to this um, guy, there was so there was one point of this um, convention where there was a very popular speaker on the stage, and no more people could sort of get in the in the event to sort of see the speaker. So a lot of people were crowding outside and they were looking through uh, certain cracks in the window. They were trying to listen through the door. This guy's speaking. And I said to this guy, all we need, all we need now is a, a, a David Attenborough narration over the top of this and just saying, turn around and just say, the desire to see beyond the veil is built within human nature. We are weird biological creatures and we desire an impulse for new knowledge. Human beings will do anything to attain this knowledge. <laughs> so anyway, I thought you would like uh, I thought you, I thought you would like that. But that's what I said to this guy and, we, and me and this guy were having a right laugh uh, talking about the desire for human beings to get knowledge. But it really, besides that, it really is incredible to just to see so many people wanting to expand their minds. So over this weekend, just to give you guys a bit of a heads up, I really did talk to so many interesting people. This podcast deals with a, a, um, a girl called Sophia Rolkin. She's an anthropologist who talks about ayahuasca. Also did a podcast with Anthony Peake where we talked about consciousness, simulation and went all over. A lady called Jay Griffiths who was a lady who visited all the indigenous cultures around the world and she wrote a book also about how indigenous cultures perceive time which is fascinating podcast, I promise you that. Tim Reed, who is a psych, uh, psych, psychotherapist. Rory Spowers, who rode the length of Africa on a bike, and he also walked the length of India in search of spiritual of a spiritual quest. Phil Richards, who talks about the origins of yoga. A Buddhist teacher called Philip Wolfson. A lady called Dr. Gail Bradbrook, who is the, who's the, lead, who's the leader of the... The Extinction Rebellion, Rosalind Watts, who talks about psychedelics and depression. So much more. That is just a few anyway, but honestly, some of the conversations coming up on this thing are going to blow your mind. They really are on another level, in my opinion, and I was so glad to be able to have the opportunity by Britain Convention to just do these conversations. So anyway, in this week's podcast, enough of me rambling now. This week is a podcast with a lady called Sophie Rolkin. She is an anthropologist. She also wrote a book called When Plants Dream, which is an interesting book. So I know you're going to love this conversation. It really is a powerful one. So anyway, enjoy this conversation with Sophie Rolkin where we talk about ayahuasca and everything else in between. So anyway, enjoy people. We'll start now, but I'm trying to. I'm just. Yeah, I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to think in my head. Where's the? I know because I know we can talk about so many different topics. Sure, so I'm just trying sure. to think where's What's the where's point? the best place to start. But maybe a good starting point and something I would like to ask you is: is so when people have sort of ayahuasca experiences and things like that, mm-hmm. people always talk about in, in general people in society who go and have this experience, this sort of novel experience of taking ayahuasca. 
they always speak about how when they come back, they get the sense that something's different within them. What What do you think's going on on there? Wow, huge. Yeah. I mean, that could be multiple things. Yeah. I would say taking the leap to, depending on where you had your experience, you mm-hmm. know, if you maybe travel to a different region of the world, probably the Amazon rainforest, um, you know, it's very different. You're going to see very different things um, and ideally interact with communities with very different, you know, worldviews and ways of articulating their relationship to their environment and the way they see things. So that on its own will probably, you know, transform things. Um Yeah, I mean, and also I would say even before the actual psychedelic experience, as it were, you know, it it takes a degree of willingness and openness to actually say, I'm diving into the unknown here because Lord knows from all of the YouTube videos, the podcasts, the books, you know, everyone and their mom has something to say about ayahuasca. And I'm sure that that very prominently figures into how we um, anticipate our trip and probably how we experience our trips as well. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing with research, actually, you know, the suggestibility. If you say you're about to have a, a life changing experience you're kind of ready for that, right? Versus this is going to be the worst experience of your life and you'll be ready for that. So, um, yeah, but I mean, from I can speak from my personal experiences and from the 80-ish interviews we did, um, semi-structured interviews for When Plants Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, many people reported feeling that something had fundamentally shifted um, in the way that they saw things. Um, more than anything, confronting fear, um, and really, you know, being put through a sort of physical ordeal of purging, uh, shaking, sweating, nausea, all that kind of stuff, like what, what that does to you and knowing that it's a, it's a plant and it's not um, something that you've, you know, you really you willingly put yourself through that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. on a sort of, that's good points, by the way, I never, ever sort of thought about the aspect of how sort of people's, other people's opinions on what the experience is going to be, how it's going to shape you. Because sure. I'm actually thinking about certain experiences that I've had now mm. and how sort of, like you said, YouTube videos, podcasts I've listened to may have actually shaped my experience. It's wild. When you said before about how um, things are shifting inside inside of ourselves, have you ever sort of, I know this is sort of the multi-million dollar question of what's, what's really happening there. I know there's new evidence now talking on a biological level, how sort of maybe things are, are changing within ourselves, but on a sort of, on a, on a sort of, What's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to use the right word. Maybe spiritual on a spiritual level, sure. like a metaphysical level. What do you what do you think's going on? Are we is is this sort of unlifting the veil within our minds to be able to see it like a hidden dimension or something? Yeah, I mean, I won't give a scientific answer for it because I think there are many things yeah. that are already. And it's not my expertise per se, but I, I mean, from you know what I understand in my own personal experiences is that you know the ayahuasca experience. Um, has a has a unique ability to connect people to dimensions of their consciousness and their you know their awareness that are typically obscured in daily life. So we go through our routines, we have you know our schedules, and um, and we don't necessarily have a context or a substance to facilitate us looking inwards and really exploring these dimensions of our narratives that we've created about our lives. So um, many times you'll have people experiencing profound memory recall and maybe seeing um, something that happened from a different perspective. And with that new perspective, you you then are kind of forced to reckon with 
the vision that you created for your life. So, you know, let's say, I mean, this isn't off. It typically happens with maybe conflict. So I had a fight with my mom when I was a small child and then suddenly you see it from her perspective and you're able to make peace with that. Um, yeah. So just again, shifting, you know, restructuring and recalibrating the narratives that we create and how we shape our actual, our whole story of our yeah. lives. That's, that's pretty much the huge one. And then many people come out with huge to-do lists, you know, clean my room, quit my job, which I don't, you know, we have like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a soft protocol where I work at least wait like a month before you make any really, really major decisions. Um, and yeah, yeah, just the shifted perspectives. And that's not unique to ayahuasca per se, but I would say that the intense immersion is pretty unique to in ayahuasca in that, you know, your 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 capacity to just process the world in the regular worldview is is compromised. Um, and you know, even if you just look ahead, you're seeing a totally different universe and so that you know that's what's so intense about it you're in a deep immersive contemplative mm -hmm. tank basically yeah. I mean, I've, I've never took I've, I've never took ayahuasca yet yet <laughs> i will eventually get around it i've took other psychedelics and stuff but i, I like what you see in there because what i found is with other psychedelics and I've, obviously what i've heard about other people and i've, I've read, your, read your book as well and i've read other sort of authors and stuff talking about ayahuasca mm -hmm. it sort of seems to ship, shift your own perspective of the current understanding what we believe of our own place in the universe mm, so it makes mm, you realize sure. that you're actually part of something much larger than yourself for sure something i wanted to touch on before when you were saying about um you're talking about how it, we were speaking before about opening this sort of sort of inner dimension if, if you want to call it that or, or sort of un unraveling the veil of a, of a new reality in front of you sort of say there's many um which i'm fascinated by and i wanted to propose this to you is as many ancient cultures in the past all speak about this so there's there's a many there's many authors like Graham Hancock and sure. um, there's another one called Andrew Collins who's been on the podcast mm. and they always speak about how ancient cultures in the past have had a different lens of reality. So you know when people are trying to try and discuss how did an ancient civilization build a pyramid? How did they mm. how did they do certain things that we can't explain in modern technology today? He says to actually understand them, you need to view you need to have a complete different lens of reality. So we so we know that. In the past ancient cultures a big part of their civilization was um sort of adherent to psychedelics we know that they had sort of access to psychedelics and things right. and there's many different arguments suggesting that they were just in that state all the time because psychedelics wasn't just a ritual that they went and did is like sort of us westerners do now to sort of heal ourselves mm -hmm. it was just a naturally a part of their diet so they would be always constantly in, in a state of seeing this new sense of reality. Yeah, yeah. well, it's an interesting choice of uh, using the word diet because mm -hmm. in um, throughout the Amazon, there's a tradition called like dieting mm -hmm. in la dieta, no? So it means that the diet and basically it's um it's an empirical method of investigating the properties of plants and and or the personalities of plants depending on how you relate to them. Mm -hmm. Um and I would say, you know, not only ancient but actually contemporary indigenous communities who live in very close relation and concert with their, you know, their environments um are 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 learning about the different aspects of the water and the different properties of the plants through that direct communication um, versus people in Western civilization who live through various levels of abstraction, right? This table is made of, I don't know, 
wood and plastic and there are many different layers of a whole commodity chain that actually separates us from having a sort of primary relationship to the thing around us. So if I look around this room, I see nothing in its original form, as it were. And that's quite interesting. And I think that communities who do live in like indigenous communities throughout the Amazon basin, although they are changing very quickly, many of them still, you know, maintain um, that relationship to to the natural world. And that certainly shapes the way that they see things and also the tools that they use. You know, we're, we're a culture of tools. We have cameras and microphones and cranes and whatever. Um, and the tools that other communities use are quite, quite different, um, and they're they're not necessarily material, but actually their practices and their rituals. And rituals serve as tools in a way. So through practices of fasting, um, asceticism, which, by the way, like traditionally the desert, the fifth century desert mothers and fathers of you know Christianity would go into the desert and they would fast. And this is an old tradition that people have been following for centuries, if not millennia. Um, and you know, you, you, the, the logic behind that is you are emptying your vessel, the body, and hollowing it out to make room for the divine or to make room for whatever it is that you place inside. So um, I always heard of, I, I heard a funny thing a long time ago. It was like, you have to meet the medicine halfway. You have to meet the ayahuasca halfway. And that practice of learning how to, you know, pull yourself back and not, eat the spaghetti before the ayahuasca ceremony, not listen, not watch the horror film before the ayahuasca ceremony. That kind of pulling back is so hard for us because it goes against everything that we are marketed very systematically to consume in our society. Well, I like that. I love that, by the way. What about uh, psychologically as well? Do you have to, do you, do you find to get the best out of the practice? You have to em- try and empty your mind psychologically as well. I know it's a hard thing. Right. I mean, this is a funny thing, right? Like with meditation, it's actually, it's not necessarily about emptying out i mean i'm certainly no expert on meditation but if you say make it empty it's definitely not going to go that way but at least not grasping onto things right and not having this sort of um yeah like an almost a cannibalistic relationship to the things around us and specifically with you know relations and food those are the two major ones that I suppose as well the experience as well is going to take you there anyway regardless I mean for sure and it will (laughs) amplify it big time you know sometimes people call psychedelics non-specific amplifiers which just means that you know anything that is in front of you you will have an amplified experience of that Um, I don't necessarily adhere to that I mean some people also argue that there is an inherent or a there's an inherent benevolence or even an omnipotence in plant medicine and ayahuasca Um, so people you know especially when they um, advertise plant medicine retreats where they talk about their experience, they'll say, you know, Mother Ayahuasca or the Sacred Divine, right? This is a pretty big claim to yeah, make. Um, and yeah. Hmm. Well, I love that. What, what Something else just reminds us there, a question I want to ask you about the, this is a bit of a sort of a, a out there question as well, uh, the agenda of Ayahuasca itself. Ah, have you have you come across that yet? Because I've heard a few speakers speaking about how sure. ayahuasca itself may have some form of an agenda itself. Mm-hmm. So we write about that in When Plants Dream mm-hmm. quite a bit, and we approach it from several different angles. Um, I think Daniel and I actually don't necessarily see eye to eye on that, but you know, a, a common argument um, is that ayahuasca is a feminine entity. Mm-hmm. 
whatever that means, has some feminine essential characteristics. Um, so, you know, the, that femininity can be soft and, you know, guiding and, and wise and receptive. Um, that's typically what people say it is. Um, and that, you know, ayahuasca has some sort of a mission to expose people from Western civilization to their unsustainable behavior um, and their harmful behavior and awaken them to a new ecological consciousness. So during my research before When Plants Dream, when I was writing my, my, my undergraduate thesis, I was really interested in studying the different names people give to ayahuasca. And it's quite interesting, like in, in a word cloud, yeah. you could see people will call it a database, divine, sacred, evil, cultural patrimony in Peru, a drug, a psychedelic, a hallucinogen. And you could come up with maybe 50 of these different words that are all loaded and quite different, right? Just by speaking about the qualities um, of ayahuasca. It's quite fascinating. It's really cool. Do you, do you actually think that, do you think the, the wording actually matters? Because I know like some people have different opinions on, on words and stuff. Because I know it's experiences that I've had, I could use a thousand different words for one different experience because it seems that the language itself isn't really there to give the narrative of what actually is on a deeper level is going on. Hmm. Do you find, because it's hard to like find that crossover because wording is especially in the Monday world when we're trying to you're trying to portray this across to a, a different type of audience or you're trying to sort of even legalize it in a, in a, a correct right, manner of course. that's when the wording comes in sort of and you right. need to have correct wording but it's a, it's a fine sticky line because the experience itself actually tells you that language doesn't matter yes and no line, yes and no I mean I think for one, we are an especially wordy culture. Here we are sitting in front of microphones, yeah. just talking ourselves into circles about some things, right? When, I mean, the Shipibo, a community that I work with in the Peruvian Amazon, they call ayahuasca uni, which just means wise or wise one. And there isn't too much, you know, I don't think you would find that many words to describe it. And certainly I would say, I mean, in my personal experiences that, you know, words shape worlds, abracadabra. It's yeah. like, it's a pretty, um, it's a, it's a fundamental facet to how we, it is the, it is the root of how we see things and how we relate to things. So absolutely. Um, I like that. When we were speaking before about uh, the agenda side of things, have you ever thought about if ayahuasca has a sort of an over, overarching theme of an agenda? Because I'll just give you a quick example because yeah. we had uh, Dennis McKenna on the podcast a while ago and he was speaking, he brought this concept to, because I asked him, I actually asked him the question, do you ever thought about if ayahuasca has an agenda? And he says, he actually said at the time, yeah, I have, but I haven't really spoke about it much. And he said that a theory that he could have is that, so with ayahuasca being a plant itself and sort of having back its own biological needs, mm -hmm. regardless if it's like spiritual and, and sort of properties to it and its mystical properties, it actually on a biological level, it's still required for the, for the survival of its own species. It has sort of a biological sure. requirement. So he says it needs human beings to build spaceships to take it to other planets. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read some work of Dennis's in the past. And he talks about the Benisteriopsis world of tree mm. and for sure kind of waking us up to an ecological consciousness. Um, and I guess there are two parts to my answer there. One, definitely. I mean, Michael Pollan writes in his book, um, the desire of botany. So not his most recent one, but a couple of books before that. Um, he, you know, he, he basically suggests that maybe, you know, plants having de developed a very sophisticated, 
um, sort of art of chemical communication to adapt to their conundrum of immobility, right? So plants can't move, so mm-hmm. they, they move in different ways. In fact, they move the world around them in different mm-hmm. ways, in invisible ways that we can't perceive, That's but we good. experience on a daily basis, right? So through millions of years of evolution, is it possible mm-hmm. that through their sophisticated art of seduction and seduction is you know where the the apple is more red or the the skin is more tender or the smell is divine right these things that just enamor us or maybe even for more practical purposes like Mm -hmm. corn really really useful it's a flex crop we can use it for food fuel uh, feed animal feed right these certain crops are in a sense the kings of the world right and this is pollen's theory but i also completely align with it um and maybe we are actually just living in our, you know, kooky anthropocentric worldview when in fact, you know, the plants are the ones that are um, influencing us. Um, and I think that's quite interesting. So to follow that, I mean, I think that you could absolutely say that ayahuasca is, you know, one of these plants that has some sort of an agenda. And I really don't know. I mean, in my personal yeah. experience, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm a, I'm a scientist, but I'm also... I have a deep relationship to ayahuasca. So I, it's always a funny back and forth. And I hold that anything can be true. And I think, why not? You know, even let's say even if ayahuasca had some sort of a beautiful agenda uh, to to save the world, as it were, right, to wake us up to our destructive behavior, then what? And for me, that's what I'm really interested in is really seeing, well, if we are changing, how are we changing? And so that's why I work in the question of sustainable ayahuasca, actually, because something that isn't discussed very often is um, how we harvest ayahuasca. So, yeah, I would love to dig into that yeah, a little bit more. Let's go there a second, but I want to touch back on something before because there's so yeah. many good points. Hopefully we'll, I'll get back to that. Yeah, for sure. But you, went, you, you made a really interesting point when you were talking about the seductive aspect of ayahuasca. And I was, because I've questioned, the question I was going to ask you today was I wanted to propose to you, why is it a, why is ayahuasca always seen to be a a sort of a feminine entity? Mm. And when you just said that there, I was actually thinking maybe why people speak about that they encounter female entities because through my own understanding of sort of um, human psychology, see, the the feminine aspect of things is more sort of, it's more seductive. It's, and even see, it's more, it's more sort of homely. It's motherly. It's. I was just trying to question is has ayahuasca itself created a its own sort of sub identity as a fem- with the feminine aspect to to sort of cultivate that relationship with everyone right I love that question yeah, that's what um, I'm and i and it keeps evolving for me um but in my experience the 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 first times that I drank with indigenous communities in the Amazon. I was with a group called the Sequoia and they live in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And um, they actually don't have this feminine personification culturally of ayahuasca. And it's not so much in their worldview. In fact, ayahuasca is something that is sort of convened with um, usually just by men. It's hard to say through the centuries of Christianity and you know, patriarchy that have infiltrated those communities. But, you know, it's actually a very masculine tradition. Um, and some people will say that some ayahuasca preparations with Diplopterus caburana, which is a plant that typically grows more in the north of the Amazon, versus the Sicotria viridis combination is a more feminine. So that's one thing. I mean, there's overwhelming sort of visionary uh, art to suggest or to kind of show that ayahuasca has a feminine character. Um, and I mean, when you compare it to, say, iboga, 
it's a very different teacher, you know. It, it's not slamming something in your face or stripping your clothes off. It's a, it's a, it is yeah. different in that way. And, you know, depending on... You could ascribe a feminine or a masculine trait to that. That's a different thing. But what's really interesting is that... I mean, I've noticed that people who are coming to the Amazon usually don't speak Spanish, actually. And they are... Or if you're translating Spanish words, el or ella or, you know, la or el, mm. they all have the, the gendered pronouns, right? So if you're working with these words, you would say la planta, the plant is already feminine. So if you're translating that to English, you say the feminine plant, ayahuasca. It's just a thought I've had. I'm, I'm not committed to it either. But, you know, you could easily see how, again, from the suggestibility there, um, people are like, oh, you know, they're saying, you know, the ayahuasca, the feminine ayahuasca, the feminine plants. Yeah. And the last thing yeah, I'll say on that is there is something interesting about how ayahuasca as a feminine entity has captured the attention of so many because maybe a feminine entity is what we want as a culture maybe a, a, an earth mother who has a, a sort of a mission for us is is teaching us something and it, it is such a drastic contrast to you know the the very masculine and patriarchal and you know development driven civilization that we live in so as a counterpart to that it certainly fits fits the description yeah it definitely does i mean if you look around at the modern day world it's definitely sort of i would say the world at the minute it's more in the in the sort of the masculine definitely the masculine you know what i mean, it, it I definitely mean. We, require that, we require that balance now yeah. but before i just wanted to slightly touch on it when you were talking about um because we are sort of say is the the way I'm looking, it's sort of cultural, um, cultural, pro, uh, pros, cultural prosperity. Because I know mm. certain certain cultures in the past they didn't they didn't dif- I can't say the word differentiate dif- yeah differentiate between the masculine and the feminine. So maybe that also mm. had a, a sort of a, a, a sort of a what's the word I'm looking for um, a sort of point to play in that argument because I know like sort of Bruce I remember Bruce Parry he was on the podcast and he was speaking about how certain cultures in the past they wouldn't actually differentiate between the masculine and feminine so they would just sort of cross sort of uh, cross genderization of that culture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so maybe maybe that plays in it because in the west we sort of have these we have these fine straight lines between you're a male you're a female but maybe in other indigenous cultures they that sort of bleeds that understanding bleeds into one so they don't have that sort of prosperity of say yes ayahuasca is a feminine because maybe their their cultural perception of what is a male and what is a female might be different or ours as well Mm -hmm. yeah the androgyny is just built in in a different way yeah for sure i mean it's very yeah yeah it's it's a great thought but again it's also hard to say you know because a lot of the time i mean and this is like the classic woe or the issue of anthropology is that you know we we often tend to think of indigenous communities as in the past and worse than that we think of them as they were always the same right so and if they're you know we like traditionally like anthropologists study indigenous communities like shining examples of humans before their mm. fall from yeah, grace yeah. right like they're in they're one with nature they know everything when in reality i mean if you just I mean, you just talk to people from these communities, but also you could look at archaeological information. And I mean, there's tons of evidence that suggests that communities have been influenced through many, many different 
migration patterns and cultures and it's it's always it's always always evolving so it's hard to know and then when it comes to you know the question of masculinity and femininity certainly i mean there's the role of the heyoka um in oh, is it hope I, i'm embarrassed by not knowing it i think hopi communities in north america um no navajo and um and so the the heyoka is sort of the sacred clown and they'll live on the outskirts of the community and they they're 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 cross dressers i mean they they will dress this way or that way and they represent no one gender but actually a third gender i think i've seen them is them the ones who wear the big long red dresses could be yeah. i'm certainly not an expert think, on that i think there's a guy yeah. called um Jimmy Nelson, who did a, a great ex- sure. exhibition yeah, on that, where he went and met them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. some great pictures on that, by the way. Of the, I think they had sort of them. Um, I'm sure they have shaved heads as well. Mm. I'm, I'm sure I might yeah. be mistaken, but they, yeah. I'm sure they have shaved heads and they wear the the big long red gowns. Yeah, beautiful, really beautiful looking people. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Nelson's work is interesting. I remember once. Not to highlight critique, but I do think it's an interesting thing. Is one of his books, I think, was called "The Last of Their Kind" or "The yeah. Last Ones," something like that. And I do remember that there were a few indigenous communities who actually responded to that, saying, "Hey, actually, you know, we're still here, and you make us dress up in our fancy grandparents' garb, but you know, we are who we are today." And it's just an interesting thing to think about because, again, I mean, as an anthropologist myself, I think it's a duty to really kind of highlight the ways that we tend to fall short when talking about indigenous communities because they're still here you know and there's and they're constantly evolving and they have new technologies and they adapt and it's it's always evolving um and that's certainly a downfall of the ayahuasca culture actually the 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 contemporary western ayahuasca culture is that there is certainly a bit of a romanticization of these people um when you know there are just people like us. I mean, certainly the, there's privilege differences, there's experience differences, but at the core, you know, nothing's new under the sun, and we're constantly changing culturally. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm guilty of that as well. That we are well, me rom- too. Rom- yeah, romanticize it in your own mind. Something else I want to touch on with you as well was we were speaking off the podcast before. I thought it was a good talking point as we were talking about it was the, cos- the book, the Cosmic Serpent, uh, the book that Jeremy Narby wrote. Have you, through your sort of, when you've been in the field and you've been researching and stuff and all the, the research that you accumulate together, have you also come across the same theory, what he suggested that, that um, the sort of molecular language that could be transmitted through sort of ayahuasca or a psychedelic or DMT, whatever it is. But have you encountered the, the sense of the, the double helix strand through much of your work? Because his, his big emphasis of his is mm-hmm. a double helix strand. Mm-hmm. So throughout all history, people are, talking about this archetype of a snake but his work believed that it was a double helix strand which related correlated to dna right yeah and you like the asclepian Mm. double serpent or the kundalini double Mm. serpent personally no (laughs) personally no Mm. yeah it's just because you know again I, I i just that's not my entry point into this sort of stuff like looking looking at the the foundations of molecular biology you know I just, but I'm for just, some people mm-hmm. yeah no i'm just always fascinated by it because when i read that book myself i've always i've always sort of questioned is because you know how when certain people talk about how the human body has this certain amount of junk day and junk day in here oh yeah sure it's never really sat right with that properly and then when I come across a book like that, that's talking about how this, how DNA has this sort of, this untapped potential and stuff. And I'm just trying to question in my mind as if, if something, if 
if our natural, if, if, if say if our evolution was different to what than we've been told and say, I mean, this is going out there, but yeah. I'm just using an example. Say our evolution was very different from say some form, form of natural sort of evolution. And it was say we were developed in some sort of, I don't know, sort of developed, human beings were developed for a specific reason. Would the developers of that leave some sort of mark or some sort of, just like we create a product now, ah, you leave is this a, the interventionist yeah. kind of theories? So like so, Anunnaki aliens came to... I don't, like, even, I don't even know, I don't even know if it's... Call like, it what you will, Yeah, right? call it whatever you want, whatever, sure. you, but just, is there some sort of, is there some, just like any maker when they make a product or whatever it is, they leave some sort of mark? I mean, and what other mark would you leave hidden with inside of the, the, the thing that you're making itself? <laughs> and, and, and obviously, and then when, when they are ready, they'll find it themselves. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like our, our, our tags or something. Yeah. Are, <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah. I just even some information about our true nature, because I mean, when some people, I know this is really out there, but see, obviously I know Jeremiah and Aubrey proposed that that information can be transmitted through sort of um, DNA. Mm. And he was speaking about how when you ingest psychedelics, there's an aspect of it where it actually sh- it's trying to sort of it's trying to show you that in a certain way and trying to see it. But it's but with it being obviously the double helix strand of the the snakes that it shows in the serpents, that's the only thing that it can actually use to sort of correlate that information across. It's wild. Who it's knows? Anyway, interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not something I've thought a lot about yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. It's really wild though. What what do you um? How do you see? I know you slightly touched on it before, but the the role of ayahuasca in the future, like of, in terms of human evolution. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, best case scenario, we, um, you know, decriminalize and democratize plant medicine, um, while also anticipating what will happen, right? Because historically, human communities have been pretty bad. Um, at sort of over extracting yeah. and you know commodifying and enslaving and biopiracy and all these different things. So in terms of ayahuasca, I actually my own personal path is aligned with this idea that maybe we could anticipate the commodification of ayahuasca mm-hmm. um, and change our trajectory and our history as Western people sort of swooping in and taking something that we like and transforming it into some sort of a beautiful symbiotic relationship where we work together with communities and we respect their land and we find a way to reforest, um, you know, the Amazon rainforest, uh, you know, with a high variety of different useful plants, including ayahuasca. And I think that planting ayahuasca could be a very beautiful way for us to kind of, um, I want to say rectify the mistakes of our ancestors i know that may sound totally (laughs) maybe even pretentious but i think it's i think it's i think i think it's a cool idea you know because at the end of the day if we're talking about substances enlightening us but we're not thinking 10 years ahead then how enlightened are we you know so in in my idea the the beautiful future of ayahuasca would be regenerative um, family-owned plots of land, highly biodiverse, that are drawing down a lot of carbon, um, you know, protected by land rights. We have whole teams of people around the world supporting the rights of these people and the rights of nature. Um, and then, you know, intercropping with ayahuasca vines and potentially, you know, people 
drinking ayahuasca around the world in the way that they want respectfully. I mean, I, and then that gets into a whole theory of regulation and this stuff, which I'm, you know, I'm not too into getting too deep into, but that's the idea, really making sure that we're not taking more than we're giving. And I think that ayahuasca can teach us to do that. Do you, do you actually see that playing out in the future? Because it's, it's a sti- obviously it's a very sticky thing and I'm, I'm definitely very optimistic, but then I see sort of, um, even just like the, the the sort of the cultural aspect of how I think it's uh, Bruce Perry has a great documentary on this called I think it's it's hard to pronounce I think it's called Tai Tai Wai yeah mm-hmm. Tai Wai yeah. and he's obviously trying to put across this concept that showing you how their worlds are vastly changing because of our own actions mm-hmm. and I just I don't know I don't, I don't know if we are we gonna is it gonna take for a, is it gonna take for a whole mass global shift or can can we just be a case of where small pockets of people go in there infiltrate their culture make it a bit better and stuff i don't right. know and infiltrates a weird word yeah, too yeah, right like yeah i mean so i work with a nonprofit in the peruvian amazon called the chaikuni institute um in shipibo chaikuni means spirit of the forest um and we're thinking about those issues we're a small very intercultural team um and we are partially funded by an ayahuasca retreat center called the temple of the way of light in iquitos in peru um, and yeah, I mean, we work with communities mostly to, to, you know, help them satisfy their own needs and sort of use, um, you know, strategic and, and long-term planning to help them create agricultural solutions mostly because, you know, they're people that work with land. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think in a, with an intercultural team of people who live and work, you know, not from an office on the other side of the world, actually, but really, you know, working and living with people and being friends with people, right? Mm-hmm. Having, you know, relationships with people. Um, there's certainly a possibility to do that. And we do that through our permaculture program, which I helped coordinate. Um, and yeah, we're working on a problem program called Chakra Integral, which is not like the chakra points, mm-hmm. but chakra just kind of colloquially around the Amazon means like a small family owned farm, mm-hmm. basically your little plot of land. Um, and Integral is like a, an integrated or a holistic or wholesome piece of land. Um, and yeah, I mean, in, in recent years, you know, there's more and more corporate expansion in the area. So it's so multifaceted too, right? There's also the corporations that come in, cordon off land, you can't get in. Um, semi-nomadic communities can't do agriculture like they used to. They used to slash and burn. So cut a piece of land, burn it down, um, and then and then plant one type of crop in it. But as these sorts of you know, corporations continue to encroach on indigenous territories, you can't really keep slashing and burning because the soil quality keeps degrading. So, you know, what we're doing at the Chaikuni Institute is finding new ways to create, you know, sustainable plots of land that are always permanently creating agricultural products. It's permaculture, permanent agriculture. Um, Yeah, and that would include ayahuasca. I love that, by the way. That's really—I've never heard like a sort of an outlook on, on like an actual practical outlook. Yeah, it's like a real thing. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. I was when I was it's thinking about that, I was thinking that could actually really work. That you know, yeah, really powerful. Yeah. So just something else I wanted to touch on before as well. Before I forget, because I'll completely kick myself. I wanted to ask you about um, the aspect of ayahuasca itself, the brew, like the brew itself, because p- people there's obviously certain theories about questioning how did this, how did this sort of this combination of the of this brew actually sort of be found really mm. have you questioned is it is it sort of a lucky gift or yeah. is it or is it maybe 
questions even the advancement of them cultures in the past who were on them mm-hmm. lands i don't i don't know yeah yeah i mean it's a so in the amazon rainforest we have about a quarter of all plant species on planet earth which is crazy mm-hmm. so again right the idea of combining two plants together is totally out there um, to have such a dazzling sort of chemical effect um yeah i mean there so there are a couple of different theories indigenous communities you know often say that, they, that it is a gift um, Stefan Bayer, who authored Singing to the Plants, which is just a tremendous book, um, suggested maybe communities were looking for a better way to purge. So, you know, people that live in forests, they often eat a lot of meat um, and kind of undercooked or not cooked at all meat. Um, well, with fire, certainly, but just not super, you know, sanitized or whatever. So there's a lot of worms and parasites. To respond to this, communities do purgatives, so lots of laxative, lots of vomitive. Yeah. It's a good practice to just keep the intestinal system nice and clean and healthy. Um, yeah, and the theory is people would just make these cold water concoctions, just kind of put maybe Benisteriopsis copy, the main vibe, fine, in just a pot. Um, and then that has purgative effect. It has emetic tannins in the bark there, so it won't make you vomit. And then, you know, combine that with a couple of other herbs one of which being dmt containing and boom you have ayahuasca i heard a theory as well that someone was saying that but i don't i don't know if i i believe it but it's an interesting theory anyway saying about how they may have actually watched sort of some animal or sort of like a jaguar or something yeah actually sort of yeah licking inj- the yeah. Mm, i don't totally buy it i mean i don't you, so yeah i think what where does this from i think Michael, I mean, I know Michael Pollan wrote a line about it in his introduction to Botany of Desire. I think it might be Michael Pollan because mm-hmm. he speaks about how they actually witnessed the jaguar actually sort of doing what you said. Uh, right, licking the, was it the vine or the leaf? I think so, yeah. And then obviously having a sort of uh, hallucinogenic. Yeah. I mean, what would make sense is the vine, which has, you know, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So harmine, tetrahydroharmine and harmaline, um, which are said to have mild psychoactive properties. Um, I don't know if there's any research to support that. I've had just cold water Benisteriopsis concoctions and they can do a little something. But I mean, the jaguar would also need to be chewing the the, the DMT salad in order to really get the full dose. So who's to, who's to say? Yeah, but, there's, there's also new evidence now. I heard the other day talking about, I think it was, I think Graham Hancock speaks about it. I think someone else obviously came across the research, but they were talking about how, because they're finding new structures now in the Amazon all the time, because they have sort of this thing called, I think it's called LADAR, I think it's called. It basically, mm-hmm. it's a sort of a, a technology that goes across the landscape and it sort of, it doesn't affect the, the biodiversity or anything of the landscape mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. It sort of lasers the land and they've been finding new structures and things. So with obviously the suggestibility that, the people of the Amazon and stuff were actually a lot more sophisticated than we were led to believe. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about that is they found a... Sophisticated in our way of seeing. Yeah, sophisticated. yeah. They, they found a, a soil-based, a new soil that was actually very... And they can't figure out how they've done it. Yeah. Terra Preta, maybe? Not too sure. But Terra basically, this, this soil anyway, like the, they use this soil. They've tried it now. They've like replicated it, the process. It can actually sprout um, vegetables or plantation anywhere yeah, without yeah. it it's a very sophisticated sort of thing that to put together mm-hmm. so i'm just questioning is if, if they can if they can come up with something like that and maybe they were a bit more advanced than we thought who knows maybe they maybe they were at a point where they they 
they had an understanding of sort of um, chemical processes and they found these two plants for some reason, I don't know what they were sure. doing, put them together and then that's just like the pyramids and just like the Mayan pyramids, all the pyramids of the world, these cultures disappeared. They disappeared, but these stories bled down through the cultures mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, cultures mm-hmm. maybe sort of said, you know, you can put these two plants together. I don't, I don't know, but it's just... Yeah, it's who, super who interesting. I so I think that that click the 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 soil combination has pieces of pottery in it actually, and it's a super. They put like tons of different compost and mulch, and it's it's a lots of bacteria and stuff. It's basic soil revitalization, and they 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 certainly did that. Yeah. Cool. Um, Any anything else you maybe want to touch on just before we wrap up? In case I forget yeah, to touch on um, anything. I know we went sort of all yeah, over. Yeah, no, I mean, I would recommend to your readers to check out When Plants Dream. I don't know if I can show it over here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will I will see as well in the book as well. Like <laughs> I said, you off the podcast, I've slightly read a little bit of it. Yeah. And what I liked about it is, is that it was I thought it was a very digestible read, a great read. As yeah, well. yeah. And that's the kind of the idea, you know, because there's there's a lot of really brilliant literature being written about ayahuasca, but I personally found that not a lot of it is very palatable um and compared to the mainstream media articles that we have been seeing Mm. versus the you know a little bit esoteric academic texts i think with this we really wanted to create a sort of guidebook just kind of reviewing the history of the law the politics the biomedicine the conflicts around medicalizing these things and um, i think we did a really good job at creating a sort of one holistic way of kind of looking at the global spread of ayahuasca i liked as well at the end of the book how you're actually because I quickly skipped to the end of the book and I've yeah, seen yeah. that you put in, what would you call it? A, it's a sort of a... It's like a guide. A guide, yeah, yeah. It's like a little guide. Yeah. And that was, yeah. And that was intending, uh, you know, people might read it and they're either terrified and want to run the other way or they're like, we've got to get online and yeah, sign yeah, up right yeah. now. Um, and I guess the idea, yeah, with that guide is to sort of offer, um, you know, maybe set an intention, follow the diet. Um, if you can take a day off after to kind of integrate um, just, just basic kind of good due diligence and you know especially with if you do want to travel to the amazon just you know making sure you don't squat a person's community or making sure you you know take the time to actually um plan these things well yeah and to yeah and to give to give back also i, I like that because it's a big yeah. thing because with them um, and i've had this experience myself is i've had this expectation before you know what it's like the sort of the 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 psychedelic careers around the world people just want to try it and they they think i'll be fine i'll just i'll just throw myself in the deep end and not really sort of like underestimating the medicine really because i I did did it myself where i just underestimated the medicine and don't get us wrong i got a complete ass kicking as well from it (laughs) but i underestimated the medicine so i think it's very vital to to psychologically prepare yourself before you go and written not just totally. not just go and written just blind really because yeah, you, you need like to have a, a bucket list kind yeah. of thing yeah for sure definitely or you will get your ass kicked you will get your and <laughs> you know if you don't you will eventually it yeah, seems to it work anyway. in that way yeah for sure for sure um nine years ago before, when i first drank ayahuasca somebody once said to me the medicine will come to you when you're ready and it is sort of like a very <laughs> you know funny way to say it but i i part of me thinks that's true you no, know and actually. it's probably not the first dude who's selling tickets that you want to you know get get from yeah so take your time um do your homework but don't do too much homework either actually there's a lot of weird stuff online and everybody you know has their perspective so with a dose of salt and just, yeah, go yeah. forward. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for the podcast. <laughs> Thank you really so cool. much. Really cool. Thank really you. Lovely. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for staying to the end and listening to this podcast. It really means a lot. And as I say, I love, thank you, I really am humbled that so many people are tuning into these conversations. It really gives me so much hope that you out there are really trying to expand your mind as much as you can. It really is needed in the world. And I really love you all for doing that. It really means a lot to me. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you can, find it in your heart, support the podcast through the Patreon page. Also have a one-off donation option as well if you sort of don't want to sign up to any monthly payments. But if you want to sign up to monthly payments, all all you need to do is head over to the Patreon page. And the price of a cup of coffee each month goes such a long way, $2 a month. That's all you need to pay. You get access to the bonus, the, all the bonus content. There's a bonus private RS feed, which you can add to your favorite podcast player. There's also a private Facebook group, which has some other amazing people in there. And I'm always uploading new content and behind the scenes footage when I'm traveling around and doing podcasts in that private Facebook page as well. So all you need to do is become a patron with any amount and in the process support the podcast so anyway thank you so much for listening to the podcast and this week just to play the conversation out as i always do i'm going to play a different song actually it's a song that actually doesn't really have any words but it's a it's a, a track that i've wanted to play for a long time it's by an artist called parangi and the song is called ancestors shaman's dream and it's a remix from his from his version of the track called ayahuasca so anyway i know you're going to love this tune I'll catch you next week where I have another powerful conversation as always. Keep seeking people. Peace out. Mamankuna shamankuna kayariri. Mamankuna shamankuna kayariri. Sinchi sinchi cuerpecito, sinchi sinchi almacita. Gracias, madre, gracias, padre. Gracias, Wiracocha. Taitainti, Mamakia. Gracias, Mamacocha. Anampacha. Y Pachamama. Guíame donde tengas que guiar.
ganjikan wa atun tatakun